Hey everyone, and a huge welcome to the Dedicate Podcast, the wellbeing podcast to help you to get the most out of your life. We discuss health, fitness, relationships, self-love and body image, mental health, motherhood and more. I'm Kate Ivey, your host, and I've got to tell you how much I am loving podcasts at the moment. They have changed my life when it comes to cleaning, so there's a wee tip for your day. I'm also really enjoying hosting, planning and running the Dedicate podcast. I'm learning so much from our wonderful guests and I really appreciate everyone's positive feedback. I am so pleased you are loving it too. Now today is no different. Today I'm talking to Queenstown mother of two and physio, breathing coach and entrepreneur Emma Ferris. Emma and her sister Sarah are the producers of a true crime podcast that hit number one in many countries. But the twist... This story is about Emma's own experience. So today, Emma shares her story of how she was dating a con artist and how she risked her life to get back the money he'd taken from her. She gives us her insights into the scary experience and her strategies to overcome this traumatic time in her life. She also shares her learnings and inspires us to listen to our bodies and make self-care, meditation and breath work a part of our lives. Kia ora, how are you? Good, thank you, Kate. Thanks for having me along. Oh, so great to he- have you here, Emma. Now, last time we properly chatted was about a year ago. You were interviewing me just about um, health and fitness in general. I had no idea what you had been through, what you were going through at that time. I was pretty taken aback when I then saw your podcast a few months later, what you'd been through. I found myself then hooked on your story feeling a bit bad, like wanting more. Wow, this is so incredible. And then realize that, oh my goodness, this was your life. So scary. For those that don't know your story and then for those who are like me and want to know more and want to hear it again, tell us, I mean, how did it all start? Wow, so I I never thought that I would ever go through a crazy experience like this and to literally have my own true crime story. It was not what this little Kiwi girl would ever think would be happening in my life. It was very set with business, with clients I'd work with and family and children. And I did never expect that I would have met somebody that literally was a con man. And that's the, that's the major part of it. Uh, <laughs> I was so surprised and in many ways, but I also wasn't, if that makes sense, because I had red flags as I began to date this guy. So this going back a few years ago now, it was 2018, I think it was when I actually met uh, the con man. Uh, we like to call him Voldemort in my house. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, what do you call him? Is he just the con man? But <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I don't like to like mention his name, but more Voldemort actually is what we yeah. call him in the house. <laughs> um and I met him actually online dating and as a then 36 year old getting out there after being uh, divorced very amicably, amicably, but still in this place of kind of going, oh, how do I find this new way of being with me, of yeah. understanding this new single lady? And I met him dating online as it was the, the, very much the trend in the way many people at the moment. And I live in a remote area, so it felt like an easy thing to do. But so it was probably I, a scary to step him. to start with, though, going, oh, starting so the dating crazy. online. So crazy, because I hadn't dated since I was 22, like, yeah. like actually. And, and even then, it was a very different experience. To, to <laughs> we don't even so do dates. So <laughs> 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 exactly. I think I met my ex-husband at a pub, and it was like, yeah. oh, okay, let's get to know each other. And suddenly, yeah, yeah a few years later, married with kids, and, and mm. life happens. So yeah. It was definitely a different time. And I look back at myself and how much I've grown from the woman that, that you know, found her voice pretty strong in lots of ways with choosing to separate, to live this life that was actually about um, putting my, not my needs first, that sounds selfish, but making sure that I was listening to what was going on for me because I'd very much been the good girl through my life and mm-hmm. put everybody else first. And my body and my heart were saying, no, no more. You need to look after yourself otherwise you're going to burn yourself out and so I had all these moments through my life particularly in those next the last few years which were my like bring me to my knees moments I thought the grief of divorce was going to be quite you know a a bit of a roller coaster Um, yeah well you kind of 
fear to expect like that that's kind of the roller coaster and then from there it's gonna be a bit challenging but you're gonna find your feet yeah, again absolutely. not meet a con man no no not meet a con man because my upbringing was very much that everybody is good you know that there aren't people out there in the world that is going to lie and deceive and particularly not right to your face mm. not right to your family not to your children and to sort of enmesh themselves in so many ways so it was just the deception and the layers of it uh, and I've talked a lot about this because trust is a big part of that for many people and for me I never wanted that to be taken away from this experience and that's not everybody's way of coping and this is a big part about what I share yeah. is my coping mechanisms yeah and how I feel like it's got me through to this next stage yeah so I'd love to talk about those coping mechanisms but firstly can for those that haven't heard the story tell tell us what happened yeah okay so a bit of spoiler alert but calling the con is the story the podcast that we put out but what happened was about after five and a half months of dating him and it was very much a friendship in lots of ways. And he kept showing up and was there and supportive and brought gifts, you know, all these things to buy my affection in many ways. And he ended up uh, bringing this idea of like, I can help you out. You know, I'm so, I'm in a really good position with my businesses, which he had created false businesses as well. He'd even changed his name legally. So I couldn't find out who he was. Uh, which is a big, you know, because my gut, I had red flags from the start, but my thinking brain and the manipulation and lies would actually overcome that. And that's been a really big lesson for me is just to actually be like, if it's shouting at me, you are allowed to listen. Even if somebody is saying, no, 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 this mm -hmm. isn't the way. Look, I haven't got the evidence here. So I, I can't be all these things that you think I yeah. am. And so I got to know him. He ended up putting this idea of a business arrangement together, which I had my lawyers involved with and... Um, I ended up investing quite a bit of money for a single woman who, you know, for me, I am, a, I'm going to say a smart businesswoman. I've been working my butt off since I was 24 with my own businesses. And I had, I thought I had all the checks in place, including legal, including um, others reviewing it. But actually, because of the lies that he created in this web of deception, it was just so much more. And I wasn't the only person. So uh, there was other businesses involved. There was restaurants. There was a gin and, and vodka company and real estate companies. Yeah. And we ended up, the day that I actually found out who he was, and this all became came about because good friends of mine, a woman who I work with actually, Sasha Hope, and I run retreats with actually, she had this absolute gut feeling she could not ignore and she decided to go rogue and undercover cop on um with my friend joe and they actually ended up finding out the information which is his real identity and i had dug but they went like super deep and went into companies offices and documents and found the signature to the other name and that's when his house of cards started to fall down um, and that was when you found me, out that he was a yeah. convicted he'd already done jail time for yeah being a con so the yeah. Exactly. That was the day after I'd invested a hefty amount of money, like 250000 New Zealand dollars. And people go, what were you thinking? I'm like, I had legal documents. I thought on the process. It was all the pieces along the way that was setting up for this, this crap storm, basically. And, and I he's know a professional. People, like, yeah. There's elements to it as well, which you kind of go, I, I remember going through the court process. I'll get to that in a second. But the, the judge said to me, there is nothing that victim fearless ever did along the way to deserve this because I think a lot of this for me has been um, de-shaming you know this yeah. process for people because it's actually really common a lot of women are hurt along this way and in lots of levels it doesn't have to be money but there's a lot of psychopathic behaviors out there that mm. keep us fragile and small and not playing in the best version of ourselves. So what happened was I found out who he was and then for the next two and a half months, I was in survival mode and I made a choice on that day, the day that I found out who he was, to fight. And I believe that was the kind of mechanism that allowed me to get through and to, to do the things that were needed. They're all legal, but they, they were all things that were meant that I was safe because that was a really big fear, like huge mm. fear that I was not going to be okay, that I was going to be hurt. Um, financial safety because he'd stolen so much money and where that would leave me um, emotional safety and how this process would affect me long term because it was such a, a it wasn't even hard because I didn't love the guy that's the bit that sort of sits with me it was really just a, this friendship and support that I'd been lacking 
And so there was still a real emotional abuse in, in, in that way. And then there's this layer of trust. So I had to go, how do I get myself through, get the kids, get my business? I'm a mother of two kids as well. Uh, and he, you know, manipulated that as well. That's such a deep deception to do. Oh, makes me sick. It's just, well, especially being a mother as well. You can't mm. understand how somebody could ever do that. And so I worked with police. That was, for me, one of the only options, but also wasn't what I expected. I thought they were going to be able to be on board quickly and support me and, you know, have my back. But actually, those first two and a bit weeks were really scary because I didn't, they were like, it's okay. He's not a flight risk. He doesn't seem dangerous. I'm like, doesn't seem dangerous. Yeah. yeah, it's not his MO. I'm like, mm, okay, good that you think that. But I've got not, my survival response and fear response was like, I've got no idea who I'm dealing with right now. Yeah. And ironically, one of those things was definitely not true. He fled back to Australia. And so from that point, I felt a bit safer, but I still had to keep the lie up with him. So I never yes. saw him after that day. So when you say that day, that was when you managed to get your money back. A good chunk of it, not all of yeah. it, a really big chunk. There's still a lot of money outstanding and I probably will never see. Uh, and I, so I don't think I'll ever see. you had to pretend that you were still in a relationship with him. Yes, but I never saw him. So it was really just by message. Never had phone yeah. calls. It was just like turning the cards on him in some ways. Because I was like, I can't, I can't figure out how to move through this. But the advice that I've been given both by lawyers and the police was like, you've got to do what you can to keep the relationship going in regards to being a uh, amicable to get any money that you wanted out and to build this case. And so it was like, right, I have to play the game. You have to be and undercover cop. I had to be undercover M really. And yeah. it was, I was already going, I have no idea what the next day is going to bring. And yet I still had to run my business, pretend like everything was normal. And not many people knew what was going on because it was a safety thing. So mm. my small inner circle were around me, but I was like in a heap. I had to fight. I had no choice. So how long did that go on for? Oh, two and a half months. Whoa. That <laughs> is we a long time. Case. Yeah. yeah, and there was no guarantee. And the only reason I really think that he ended up coming back into the country was because of what I convinced him to, to come back for. He, he may have had other cons on the go, but if it, it was basically this ultimatum. If he didn't come back, there was no way that we we're going to be able to carry things on, which really was so that he'd get more money out of me. That mm -hmm. was where I think he was going with it. Um, little did he know there was an arrest warrant waiting for him at the border. And that day that I found out, uh, brings emotions up even now. I, sometimes I forget, you know, because I've worked so much through this process. I have growing so much but there's still parts of us because when you go through trauma like that they still sit with us and that day of was so satisfying like when he got arrested such it a was weight like your shoulders yes but then the work really began if that makes sense it was like we've got him now we have to keep him you know we can't let him go I didn't even know. Like yeah. the next day they were like so he might get bail I'm like what I've just got him like how can mm. he get bail and the, the journey of, of going through the court process, which I had no idea of how taxing and actually how offender-focused, I should say it is. So not victim-focused, offender-focused. And what that means is it's not about supporting these, these women and men that go through it. And I've seen it in so many cases in the last few years as my, I guess, my awareness has come on that, my lens on what's happening in the court system. And it is just so unfair for the victim and I actually had in many ways a really good outcome he didn't get out of jail until he'd gone through the court case but the system is and he, but he didn't plead guilty for like I think nine months so he's in there and by because he hadn't pled guilty he was actually getting time off a sentence and time and a half off a sentence like double time off a sentence because he was in reprimand and he knew all these ways to play the mm. system and the system doesn't work and so he'd already been in jail maybe two years before I'd met him uh, for fraud and he was able to change his name and then he was able to go out there and do it and so the I think the the frustrating thing for me is that we're not going to be able to rehabilitate these kind of people and really all you can do is figure out how you can work in your best authentic conscious way through it because your only person you have control over is yourself mm -hmm. even in that whole situation I had no control 
over what he was going to do. And it has had to be me. And, mm-hmm. and I had to be me for my children and for everybody else around. So is he still in prison now? No, I wish. Oh, actually, I don't, I don't think he is. He was, I found out earlier on this year, so January 2021, that he'd been released. I found out via the media because the justice system is set up so that they, because mm-hmm. I wasn't raped uh, and I wasn't part of a murder, I wasn't considered a victim. So they had to put me on the victim list. And I hadn't been offered any victim support until the day that we had um, a, like a hearing, uh, like just this year. So two years after that, like almost two years to the date, they were like, do you actually want to talk to somebody? I'm like, but late. I've come sorted mm, it out. Yeah. But it would have been really nice to know how people get through this process. Yeah. Because what if it was something that was even more sinister than that? And I go, oh. So I found out from a media, from a journalist to say, hey, just so you know, I wanted to get your feedback on the fact that he's both out dating um, online and he's lying about who he is. I'm like, okay, first of all, didn't know he was even out. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and is he doing this in New him. Zealand or in Australia? New Zealand. So he's not able to go back to New Zealand, to Australia, technically until he's done his parole, which is still another um, April next, 2022. So he's in oh, New Zealand. Scary. And he could be out, he could be still doing this. And I don't think uh, he's going to have changed his, his stripes uh, or spots, whatever we're going to call it today. And yeah. Um, he, yeah, he had already cha- was changing his name for a third time going into Australia when the con was happening. So he was changing it to Andrew John Lowry. So he was working hard to set himself up to move on, like going big with his con stories. He, that's the only way he knows how to live. Yeah, which is, and that's the bit that's super sad. You know, mm. that's such a sad life. That's the bit that I would sit with and go, I have so much joy and connection and love in my life. And this person had to behave that way. And what, what had happened in his life to get to that point? Mm. And I've dug so deep into that understanding of how psychopaths are, are born and made or if they're actually part of uh, who they are. And it's, it's super fascinating. Part of the podcast with Colin McConn is we had Dr. Sophie Muir on there, who is a psychologist. And getting her input into that was, you know, in some ways it was reassuring, but also chilling. Yeah. And that, you know, a lot of it's about people's life experiences and, I, when I looked into this and I look more into the work that I do and uh, with helping people come through, step through trauma in a way that is going to help them grow and not crumple, you know, it comes down to our adversity we have in our life, particularly in our early childhood, that will frame our body's survival response, but also our behaviors and choices. So, yeah, he's chosen that. Mm. And, and that's going to have a huge ripple effect on everybody, including, you know, my kids and I still talk about it. And I think there's some really good lessons for, for them yeah. and some big lessons for me that I will, yeah, I will always listen to my gut intuition. And actually it's got so strong and so clear. And at the moment, because I do so much work with, with women and men, but with women particularly, we, I think we shut that off so much and we, we don't listen to our gut brain and our heart and we have to, we get overridden from this thinking brain. I don't know about you, Kate, but have you noticed that? Yeah, overridden, yeah, to overthink everything. Yeah. 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 So our brain just gets, yeah, in that headspace and that's what to do with the why I think this disconnect between our mental health and our physical health occurs because we get so stuck been driven in that survival response and actually ignoring our body language and our body's intuition and what it's trying to scream at us yeah yeah it's just full-on busy mode not listening to its cues and that's a whole lot of different things it's um calming down food you need hydration time to yourself yep all that stuff and so tell me about the strategies you use to cope so in terms of you know at the time i mean there must have been times where the door would knock and you'd be freaked out. Like, who is it going to be? Is it going to be him? What's happening? Oh my God. There were so many times. I remember there's one time when my sister and I were recording and actually it's kind of weird because people go, why did you even push play and start start recording when this all happened? I don't even know why. It felt like the weirdest experience, but I was like, somebody, we need to capture this because somebody needs to learn from that. I had no idea it was going to become a podcast, but there was one moment where I'm in my house uh, where I live near Queenstown and it's a remote area. So you kind of, you know, anybody could be out here. And I heard the sound outside the house, like on the, the 
Dick. I'm trying to say it with a good Kiwi accent there. <laughs> um, and I, I go, oh my God, what is that? And Sarah, who's my sister in London, who does a podcast with me, she's like, oh my God, what is that? <laughs> she's like, go find out, go find out. So I run to the, well, actually, no, I was like fro- frozen. I was like, it can't be. He wouldn't have come to the house. And he's like, go check, go check. Call me, call mum, call mum. Yeah. I'm like laughing because first of all, she is the not the ideal person to be calling in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm better off calling some of the, the big guns around the town that I live in to come and protect me. But my, my fear response was definitely heightened. There was that time. And I remember being in Queenstown, driving around and having this moment where I'd pulled up. And a lot of that time is a blur because of my body's, again, survival response and trying to cope. It, it blocked out a few moments, but there are some things that are so imprinted and this car that Andrew the con man had was this orange um, Ford. Oh, I can't remember what it is now. That's good. I've forgotten it. Ford Ranger. And it, I was sitting parked up outside the shop and talking to Sasha, my good, good friend. And I saw this orange Ford Ranger just drive slowly <laughs> right in beside me. And I just dropped, like I dropped down under the seat in the front seat. And I was like, trying to get as small as possible mm. and yet going having this manis, massive moment of anxiety going he's found me I don't even know what's happening and then I crept up and I was like oh it's an old man I'm fine <laughs> and then yeah. laughed at myself going yeah. okay you're actually a crazy person just you know pull it together your survival response is just being heightened yeah which is of course it would have safe yeah exactly yeah. so, so all those, those things I could observe so I could observe it and see it but it was still kind of like almost funny out of body experience. Watching yeah, it's it. your body's natural response to keep you safe. It was flight or fright basically at the start, and then yep. getting through the court cases and all that kind of stuff. What strategies did you rely on to keep you, you know, on track to getting him? Mm. Well, I think the big part for was getting through myself. So I realised this journey to recovery as not an easy one and everybody's going to find their own way through. So I felt like and the lessons that I got out of this was that first two and a half months was about surviving. And there are things that you can do in survival mode that help you get through in the best way possible. I'm a breathing coach. So that was definitely a useful one to be able yeah. to bring myself back to calm, but I'm not going to be pretend that I wasn't hijacked a lot of the time and felt myself going to freeze mode. So freeze is really when you get stuck in the inhale and it's that protection mechanism where your body's like really shallow breathing as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it actually keeps you so stuck and that you don't even realize that you're almost not breathing very at a, at a frequent rate and it's really irregular. And my nervous system would be stuck in that every so often I'd have to keep resetting, keep resetting. So survival mode was really about trying to bring myself back to calm, trying to find an equilibrium and, and see what it is. And so a lot of self-care practices were really important at that time. And that came through from making sure I was eating well. And sometimes, you know, you just you just feel exhausted and run down. I had to sleep more because my body was so running on empty. I had to get more nutrients, so some vitamins that were going to help me because I was burning through so much of my stress hormones. And particularly with the overload of my cortisol and adrenaline at that time. Uh, I had some sleep aids, so magnesium and certain things that would make me feel better as well. And then I had to put in rituals and routines that would mean that I would disconnect from, from things that were triggering me. So a lot of it was about understanding what actually at that time were the things that are going to serve me and not serve me. And uh, it was a lot of self-care with, with uh, baths, with family, with connecting with people that I loved and, and making sure I'm talking about this experience. And then moving into that survival, uh, sorry, out of survival phase into recovery, that's actually when it felt like the work started because I'd been just getting through. And so that was when I realized how much my nervous system had taken a really big hit and that I had to do a lot more to get that bandwidth up to deal with more things. So it meant I could start to do a bit of exercise. I was still exercising through, but if I did too much, because my cortisol was already kind of tapped out, I couldn't do much more over 45 minutes at high intensity. So it was, that's why I loved your stuff, Kate, because it was yeah. always short bursts. Yeah. And it uh, means that I could actually get that fix of feeling like I'm fighting and, and then I can let it go and go, right, now I need to recover. So it was making sure that I didn't do too much, that I was really unwinding my muscles because my muscles would always be in that protection mode. A lot of stretching, a lot of breath work, a lot of um, things that would really nurture me. Being in nature is a huge one. And a lot of solo time, which is not everyone's go-to. Often that feels really uncomfortable, but I wanted to make sure that I process this. 
that I didn't just stick with it. And so I journaled a lot. I, um, I cried a lot and I got angry in the car and I screamed in my car driving to town yeah. uh, when no one could see me. So I found ways to express the emotions and work through it. But for me, that was really about recovery. And I wanted to not just recover out of this. I wanted to thrive and grow. Yeah. And that was the bit that I kind of realized, even at that first moment, it really is about mindset. So in that day when I decided to fight back, I was like, that is going to allow me to thrive eventually. I just have to work through these steps and listen and tune in. And that's probably what got me to that thrive stage now is knowing, okay, I have to work on all elements of me to be able to thrive. I can't just do the exercise piece. I can't just do nutrition. I have to really work on my emotional well-being, including the shadow side of me that likes to maybe make those choices in the first place that needed to be wanted and loved and supported. It's like, mm -hmm. I've got this. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it's about understanding your reasons of why we cho choose these behaviors so a lot of a lot of in inner work as well and that can sound a bit woo-woo and eerie-fairy for some people but it was for me that finally hearing and choosing me was what was made me what made me thrive and it's amazing that you you know you already had a lot of these tools to begin with and you've got you're the type of person that's going to delve deeper into this and find out what's really going to help you to recover and to thrive there must be so many people out there who would go through an experience like this and just be left completely flawed not knowing what to do how to recover what their next step is yeah and that's definitely come up with as women uh, women mostly that have reached out a lot of men have but a lot of women that have reached out and said i have been hurt and conned as well and I have been stuck in the state of survival ever since. And so then they were able to go through this process of figuring out how they shift it and deal with the emotions instead of stuff being stuck and freeze. And that's been super powerful. I, we always said, my sister and I, if we help just one person with this podcast, putting it out there, because it is not easy sharing your deepest, darkest trauma out with the world. And I've been very blessed with how it's been received in such a genuine way and the support we've had from people. And then the woman that come forward and said, you helped me get through the hardest moment. And I realized that I had to shift it. I had a woman on my retreat came, my woman's wellness retreats because she'd been conned. And she's like, I need to figure out how to work through this. You know, so we, and it wasn't necessarily the con piece. It can be from relationships because there is so much levels of mistrust. Manipulation and, and all sorts manipulation. of happening. Friendships, relationships. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And navigating that, like learning to listen into your internal compass and where you want to speak your truth, that is the biggest pieces that come out. And I find that is what women are really struggling with in this modern day world is that finding a way to speak your truth and truth in a way that is calm and, and grounded. So you don't feel like you're the bitch, basically, that people yeah. take you and receive you in the right way. And yet you can still, you know, fight for your, your rights and met. needs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But fight for your rights in a way that, you know, that you're grounded and it's from the place where you really feel safe. Mm -hmm. And the big lesson for me is understanding the safety trauma response and how we all get pushed into that. That's like normal. So as much as I don't expect everybody to have this combat experience, like yeah. really, really hope people don't, yeah. we are going to get triggered. You could probably get triggered today with something that makes your body go, oh, that's frustrating. Or, oh, I don't feel happy with that. Or I get angry. And while that is normal, what is not normal is being stuck that way. And we aren't taught in our upbringing how to regulate that. We are, we're often actually taught, oh, no, 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 just, just you know, it's okay. Shh, just shh. Don't talk about it. Yeah. Or uh, we don't we don't like tears. One of the things I hear a lot from our women's retreats and in my coaching and my online groups is we weren't supposed to actually cry. We weren't supposed to share our emotions. And so I've learned that I'm not meant to voice my needs. And particularly in our Kiwi culture where we have so much mental health issues, yeah. we have to reform that. That is not good enough as a culture. No, no. And it's um, I've actually been chatting to a few people lately and on our podcasts and um, – you know, it's, it's, it runs very deep and it's um, an, an area that it's really coming forward in at the moment as an elite sport, which I find really interesting. It's that, um, you know, leave your shit at the door and just get on with it. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that really does give me chills because I've, I've worked with a lot of elite athletes who have been so stuck in their head because their, their mind is super powerful and that grit determination they have 
is what gets them to this level, but they have there's this disconnect again between their body and what they're trying to say and their heart and what their body's doing. And I, and I see the transformation as these athletes start to do the, both the head and emotional work and then the body piece. But often it's so physical based and, and head based, it's not actually connecting it and going, well, how do we support these athletes? Because this is not okay. Mm, totally. So I have um, started doing meditation in probably the last few months. Um, yeah, Amazing. when I did the launch into Australia, um, I was finding myself overstressed, grumpy at the kids, just not in a good state. And I thought, I can't carry on with this business if this is how I'm going to be. So I decided, right, I've got to take control of this. So it was obvious we have meditation on Dedicate. Um, I'll do some meditations. And it just changed everything. Um, and I think it was... The, me the meditation itself as a practice and then to the fact that I'd taken a stand and I'd done something and I sort of had that ownership and control, I'd taken control back. Um, so I'd love to talk to you more about, um, about breathing and meditation. I think so many people don't do it, they don't understand how beneficial it is. They see it as something that hippies do. Or yeah. those, like you say, that are a bit woo-woo. Woo-woo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I think it should be a part of everyone's lives. Um, I still struggle to do it sometimes. It's like easier for me to go and do a crazy hard workout than it is to actually stop and take the time to do a meditation. On Monday, I was frazzled and you know my nervous system was spiraling out of control. It took me so long to write a workout and then I finally did the workout and the rest of the day was just um, a mess really. I was just mm -hmm. overhyped, um, stressed, so the next day I started with the meditation 11 minutes and yep. the day ran smoothly. So, you know, we can't say you don't have time because it's going to save you serious amounts of time. So, mm. yeah, I guess talk us through what are the benefits of slowing down and bringing meditation or breath work into our lives? Yeah, I love that. I just love your genuineness about being open about the fact that we all go through this. Like none of us are perfect with it. I'm not. Like lockdown is a huge catalyst as a mother, kids at home trying to work and everything. So I and I have the same. I have to be really aware of when I am getting triggered. So the thing with if we, we kind of branch it into self because meditation and mindfulness and breath work and is all kind of one big umbrella of just consciousness of just tuning in and there isn't a one-size-fits-all model so this is what if you've tried something before and you've gone oh, I don't like it, it doesn't work for me or my mind can't quieten I hear that a lot mm -hmm. it's like it's not about the fact that you're going to go into this stillness and that the the, the thoughts are going to just dispel the monkey mind's going to be quiet actually part of it is just the process of trying mm -hmm. that success yeah you know? I, ha so I, ha I had like to go through that as well where I yeah it was like I can't do this it's not me I can't do it but yeah, then you just have to yeah. open yourself up to it and accept that it is a process and that you are capable of it. And I was the same though, Kat, because I used to hate uh, meditation, yoga and being still. Type yeah. A personality, you and I are quite similar in that. Yeah. And uh, and when I had my, my physio practice years ago in Wanaka and I was so much cramming into the day and then I would try to do these things like, nah, I don't like being still, it's not my thing. But it's because my body was in the state of go. Mm -hmm. So what just I continuously be pushing it yes. all the time and doesn't know, hasn't learnt, it's forgotten how to slow down. Yeah, and it was in good stress mode, but you know, it's, it's that fine line between your good stress tipping over and exhausting your nervous system, which then shows up with like you were feeling the other day. And so for me, it was about tuning in and going, okay, so I can't, my mind will only quieten when my body quietens because that is the, the body's alarm system to know that I'm safe. So for me, it's not just about taking a few breaths. It's actually a process of understanding what's your breathing pattern. What is the way that your nervous system is being triggered? Um, and there's several things that you can do, but a lot of people go, okay, but I'm belly breathing. I'm like, yeah, but you're not 360 degree breathing. So you should be breathing all the way around into your lower back as well as into the front um, below your rib cage, not up into your shoulders and neck. And most people are unaware. So awareness is the first piece and giving yourself time to do that. What I love about what you said there was also you gave yourself control. And the thing is you can't control anybody else. So the minute you choose you and you choose something that puts you out of being in freeze mode because I think that's probably what you were in you're probably in this like <gasps> like mode of just like Ugh! 
and that's yeah. where that explosion comes through, that frustration. So mm. one of the tricks that I get people to do is when you feel that overwhelm coming in, you need to deflate and you need to let the air out. So taking a breath out the mouth just once. Let's the chest and your vocal cords open so that your, your rib cage can actually deflate so it can start to reset that pattern. That takes time, but at least it's one thing you can do in the go just to break that freeze mode. And I used that so much when I was going through the con man piece. So what I want people to be aware of is it doesn't have to be a 20-minute or an hour or yoga practice or meditation for you to feel better. It can be um, two minutes. Um, and what it's about is figuring out what the right habit that you're going to create is going to work for you. And again, like I said, it's not a one-size-fits-all model. For me, when I teach people about the breathing training, and I have a course that helps people go through this, with it, it's about is it to do with your muscle tension? So it depends on your breathing pattern. If you're more of an inflated IV, as I call it, you're more into this hyperinflated pattern, you've got to learn to deflate. If you're a tense tom and you're gripping too much, you've got to learn the muscle relaxation techniques. If you're more of a chaotic breather, then you've got to figure out how you use the relaxation plus the breathing pattern plus body scanning to get you into a place where you feel safe. And that is the reason why your body's been hijacked is you, for some reason you don't feel safe, whether it's a threat that's happening to you right now whether it's a threat that's happening to you in the past or in the future. Either way, your body is telling you, I am unsafe. And the crux with that, the reason why breathing is the, the key into that, the way that you can get in and disrupt that stress response, it's the only thing in your nervous system, your autonomic nervous system that controls your guts, your um, blood pressure, your heart rate, uh, that's under conscious and unconscious control. So by changing the way that you breathe, that can then manipulate the nervous system in a good way, good manipulation, yeah. to tell it that it's safe. And then it goes, right, and then you can begin to restore. So when we talked about before that whole recovery phase, I knew that my nervous system had been tapped out. And so I had to increase my bandwidth, my, my battery storage in that. And that's a hidden system. And we don't often know that it's um, overwhelmed or exhausted until we get symptoms. And this is the problem. We wait till the, the, we have to go into the mechanic slash doctor. And we're like, I'm tired. I'm not sleeping well. I am grumpy. I'm irritable. I have neck pain, back pain. I have headaches. I have migraines. I have gut problems. I have um, all these things which actually are a result of being stuck in a stressed state. But the doctor will go, here's your pill. This is yeah. what you can do. Um, maybe talk to a counselor, which again, really good things, but it's only working on head, not always working on the body piece. Yeah. So it's using both in alignment. And that's why meditation and mindfulness practices has been so successful. But it's been around for thousands of years. It's not actually a new thing. Monks yeah. are actually taught at the age of four to breathe. Yeah. You know, because that is about how they're going to become in tune. So why aren't we taught in the Western world this? No, but I think it's it's becoming a more and more mainstream. And yeah. yeah, I hope people can take away from this today that if they are someone who, you know, is into a fast-paced life and they feel themselves sort of losing a bit of control and they've tried some breathing or meditation in the past and it hasn't worked for them, realize that those are the people that need it more, you know, yes. that's, you know, and, but it, it may take time, but allow yourself the grace to, um, to take that time to do it. And it doesn't have to be long each day and it doesn't have to no. be every day, but just start the process of thinking about how you can you know, be more mindful, whether it's yoga, meditation, breathing, um, taking time to yourself in this crazy chaotic world. Yeah. Yeah, and that's part of it. For me, it's about building this invisible toolbox of, you know, when you can use those resources and knowing what works for you. And sometimes it's just one of the things I do with women on our retreats is that you're going, what is that list? That's going to make you feel better. That's going to give you serotonin, dopamine, all your happy hormones, oxytocin. And so it's like, okay, what is it? And it can be simple things like, actually, I want a hug. And then you can express your need. But most of us don't verbalize it, see it. And so sometimes you need to be coached through to find out what that process is, just like you do with exercise. Yeah. And that I want to touch on that too, because there's a lot of people that go, but I feel so good with exercise. I'm like, that is perfect because exercise, what that does is it actually allows you to burn off that adrenaline and that you've been over-creating and the oxygen you've been over-breathing and creates more CO2, especially those short bursts of exercise. So that's why I, I love doing what you're doing and, and, and how it's helping men and women find ways to manage that stress response. 
but if you for some reason can't do the exercise your nervous system's feeling really tired you get unwell there is moments of grief then that's when you can feel yourself getting overwhelmed and it's another reason why you need that invisible toolbox to be ready to be opened yeah something that's really helped me with knowing which form of exercise to do um i love following a plan and love um you know trying to stop those thoughts in your mind that tell you not to exercise but when you're really trying to tune in is if you're feeling hyper and you know a bit um you know reveled up and your nervous system feels a bit crazy and you're a bit all over the show and that's when you need a practice that's a bit more mindful like pilates or yoga and if you're feeling low in energy and flat that's when you want to do your hit or your weights and get yourself going that way Mm. and listen into that isn't it because mm. sometimes we have this like you said the plan and you're like but I must be doing this today yeah. but your body's like oh can you not can yeah. you please listen need to, to what be I flexible. need yeah you need to listen totally. and be yeah. aware of what's going on because your energy if you keep tapping it out I know this is very much part of my story going I was quite a competitive um, athlete when I was younger and um, played lots of different sports at rep level and for me I didn't realize how much I was tapping out my nervous system with nutrients yeah. until it was too late because the, the again it's that mentality push 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 yeah and we see that particularly female athletes where we have this female triad where we're so exhausted and it starts to show mm -hmm. up on our um period cycles our, our hormones and uh it, it really knocks on so many aspects so listen because because you're saying being told a certain way your body is way more intuitive and wise than we realize mm -hmm. and we don't give it space so when you think about meditation that's actually giving yourself space to listen yeah and it might be that you go i don't really want to hear those thoughts in my head it's like they're not actually all true that's the problem they're playing on repeat yeah and you think they're true actually but it's a weird quote i'm not even sure if it's a true fact but i'm going to say it. there's like eighty thousand thoughts come into your head and like 80 percent of them are actually the wrong you know things your thoughts they're not the negative yeah. So you've got our teachers on um, dedicate yoga meditation. I can't remember which ones. I think both. Um, I love the cue. They say observe those thoughts when they come yes. into your head, and just they sit there. You don't, and it's quite mm -hmm. cool. It's quite a, a great way of um, not letting your body be affected by them. They're just there. They're not actually something you need to. You don't have to think it through and deal with those thoughts every time they come into your head that just mm, watch like them the sort vision. of pass through your mind yeah I love the vision of the clouds floating by and they will pass yeah. because they're they're not being pulled in it's like that they will move through and they will yeah. go another cloud will come through it's just sort of seeing what you react to as, as well yeah no, I like it so I just want to finish off with getting some snippets of advice from you for others so um for someone that's caught up or involved with someone that they get a bad feeling about, what would be your advice to them? First of all, reach out to somebody else around you. Biggest part is you get isolated. So talk to someone that you trust and and just in a space where you know that you can have time to, to talk and discuss it. Uh, if you feel unsafe, then get out and talk with the police. There's amazing resources out there, things that I had no idea around um, and what they do, particularly with all the clients that I work with now. I realize how much Women's Refuge do behind the scenes. Um, I didn't need to need them at the time, but I think there's a, uh, the woman that I work with and what they do is, is huge. So always knowing there is a way, people out there that can support you if you feel unsafe. Um, I would make sure you do that before you confront anything and get evidence and then find a way to disassociate yourself if you can. But uh, first and foremost, create safety for yourself. Yeah, and I guess listen to your gut, the intuition that's telling you yeah. that yeah, exactly. yeah, it's not right. And take time to do that. Take time to listen to it. So what about your advice for um, people getting back to dating? Oh. <laughs> oh, that's actually a very interesting question right now because I have come around to this space. So actually very quickly into when he was arrested, or not arrested, when he'd gone over to Australia, good friends of mine set me up on a blind date. So I'm still communicating with him, but I'm like going on a blind date going, yeah. screw you, I'm going to have a life. I remember thinking I want to have like a proof of life picture with like a timestamp to be like, when you were over there trying to con me, I am out enjoying dinner, with yeah. a lovely, gorgeous guy. Uh, and so I, I think really it's, it's knowing that not every man or woman is going to treat you the same. And Yes, when you go back out there, you will feel triggered and unsafe. But the person that makes you feel 
safe and heard and connected is going to be the right person and you don't want to settle so at the moment I'm actually sitting in this um, lovely space of feeling very comfortable with singledom and does it mean because I think part of it is our upbringing for wanting to be that you're supposed to be with someone yeah yeah exactly and and that you have to have someone there yeah I think my biggest lesson here was again to remind me I don't need anybody to be uh, holding me through actually the biggest thing is that I have such a deep reservoir of energy power and and connection that I don't need anybody any man at this stage and that sounds really sort of weird to say I'm not a man hater by any means it's more about going when somebody comes into my life it is because I want them to be in there yeah, I don't not because you need the yeah yeah and they will I will be able to be in a space where and I am now it's like I am just sitting waiting uh at the end of a road in a very remote town in lockdown going you know what my life's really really cool right now I have so many amazing rich things and what I'd say is in regards to you know going out is try and go and increase your life and what you're doing like for me I'm doing amazing things I never would have done a few years ago like jiu-jitsu and um I do toastmasters and other things which means I grow my social circle uh, now that's not all about dating someone. It's about me having a really rich life yeah. and, and connections and, and, and getting connections and people because you don't need somebody there. Even though I'm like, God, I'm going to get past my use by date. I'm almost 39. Yeah, but often <laughs> someone be... there holds you back anyway. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I see so many friends and people that are actually in unhappy, dysfunctional places because they aren't voicing their needs. And you can be in a relationship and actually be doing and be unhappy and lonely. And you can be single and lonely. I want to be single and happy and fulfilled. And I think people can choose that in relationships as you have to work at it because each part of this is about your journey to self and and the learn the learning and lessons and who I am when I was 22. She's very different who I am at yeah. 38. Yeah. And definitely, I think in the next 10 years, it's going to be a whole new evolution. And I'm kind different, of excited yeah. about that. Yeah, it is exciting. And I think we, as we get older, we delve more and more into that stuff, whether we're single or yeah. not, becomes more and yeah. more important. I didn't even consider, um, you know, those sort of things when we were 22. Mm-hmm. No. And so one more, um, what advice in general do you have for anyone that's just struggling I think so, sometimes the hardest thing is to. Do you mean just in struggling in, in life? Or in, yeah, I mean it's a pretty broad question, but broad. no, it's good. I like broad. Yeah, I can work with that. My gut says to me is the first thing is reach out, and that can be the hardest step, just to say, "Hey, I'm not feeling okay." I remember when my um, my ex husband, who's a very good friend and is okay with me talking about it, when he had some mental health struggles. When he finally put his hand up, it, it all made sense, but it was really hard in that moment of like going, am I going to be safe or supported enough to go through that? So just finding the right people that you can share that I'm actually not okay. And then building safety practices that make you feel good. For women, we actually feel less stress in when we are supported by other women. So surrounding yourself with women, uh, even this conversation today, you know, I wasn't nervous because I was like, I'm talking to Kate, this is going to be fun, yeah. this is going to be fabulous. Because, yeah. And so my stress hormones went down where maybe if it was someone I didn't know, I didn't feel safe with, then my body would react differently. So there's a concept called tend and befriend in the research around stress. And so for women, we actually need to be nurtured and supported by other women because in our evolutionary need to survive, we had to have women to help us when we had young children or when we were older because mm-hmm. the men were out hunter-gathering. So actually knowing that, it's almost like an epiphany moment for a lot of the clients I work with. And they go, oh, I need to talk to my girlfriends. I need yeah, to actually it makes make sense, you know, because men don't seem to need other men. No. And they sort of get, well, most I know sort of get more reclusive as they get older, whereas yeah. we're the opposite. We, you know, we, we need it, don't we? It's... Yeah, I think men do need it, but they don't know that they need it or it's a bit harder in some ways. Yeah. We're women, because we all need connection. This mm-hmm. is what it's about. Like for our nervous system to feel safe, we have to feel connected and, and wanted. And that's also what makes us feel anxious and overwhelmed is if we don't have that peace. So finding who those people are, sometimes they're actually not your family. And I mean that in the kindest heart kind way, mm-hmm. but it may be actually that you you create your family with friends and people yeah, that the best of friends that feel that like family uh, you know there's yeah. nothing better there is nothing better yeah it's yeah. like the you know i know you've seen you do the golf um girls trips and stuff you know when you go out and have those those time together it's like 
I have women's um, weekends once a year, usually with my a good close group of girlfriends. And man, it is so soul nurturing. And that's mm. a big part of it is figuring out what nurtures your soul because you have that as a compass again to come back to. And it could be simple things like getting out in nature or doing the breathing course, try meditation. It's, it's choosing you. My advice is to sit down and choose you because the only person that will do that is going to be you. Oh, thank you so much. This is so valuable, um, Emma, and just have so much um, respect for you for what you've been through and how you've shared it to the world to help others and the knowledge that you have. Um, so thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Kate. Thanks for letting me share my story and oh, go on crazy it's tangents amazing. like I do. <laughs> no, not at all. You're amazing. So in the show notes, you'll see um, links to... Um, Emma and her sister Sarah's podcast if you haven't already listened um, like I said earlier it's a great listen and you get hooked like you're watching a um, you know a made-up tv show but it's actually Emma's life so um, yeah thank you so much Emma and all the best for the next 10 years for the next the next stage thank you appreciate it thank you so much for listening to the dedicate podcast to catch all the latest from me Kate, you can follow me on Instagram at Kate Ivy Fitness. Join our awesome fitness community of thousands of women throughout New Zealand, Australia and the world with your dedicate two-week free trial at kateivyfitness.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please support us by subscribing, sharing it with others and leaving a rating and review. That's so appreciated. Thank you. Thanks again. I'll catch you next time. Haere rā.